You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to the Brandy Show. Hi, everybody. I'm Jim Brandstatter, and this is my podcast. We'll get together every week to talk about football, primarily the University of Michigan Wolverines and the Big Ten Conference, with occasional forays into the national picture. We'll also keep up with the Detroit Lions and the NFL. Along the way, we'll have some surprises. We'll certainly have some fun guests and take a tangent or two that has nothing to do with football, like old movies or cooking. Who knows what? Sit back and relax and enjoy The Brandy Show. Hey, everybody, and welcome. we got a big show coming up. Uh, First of all, we're going to talk about the Lions, uh, how they've been up and down, and they're staring down a really tough road ahead. And we'll talk to the football guy, Scott Bischoff, about all that. And there's a big trade from the Lions. Uh, In college football, Michigan will meet Penn State. It's a huge game for the Wolverines, and it's an opportunity to be a spoiler for the Nittany Lions, and you know they're going to love that. Former Wolverine Craig Dunaway is here, and he'll talk about Michigan football. Craig, of course, has a son, Jack, who is playing on the Michigan football team. We'll have our trivia too deep uh, this week. It's the 2009 Michigan defense. In facts, legends, and lore will delight you with Biff and Benny. Have to stick around for that one. It's kind of fun. And we'll relive a fantastic finish between Michigan and Penn State. And I'm going to go out on a limb today, and I'm going to give you a recipe for tailgate chili. It's a turkey. Really, it is. All right, let's get to the NFL. Uh, How about the Lions? Uh, After the bye week, they come back and beat Miami on the road 32-21. In my opinion, their best game of the season. Two words why. Running game. Carryon Johnson at 158 yards. The team rushed for over 200. Stafford threw just 22 passes. He was 18-22 with two touchdowns. But that is the way the Lions offense needs to play. They ran the football, and they had a balanced offensive attack. And the offense wasn't totally on the shoulders of Matthew Stafford. And that basically translated into a 32-21 win on the road in a very hot game down in Miami. Now, the following week, Seattle beats the Lions 28-14, and it wasn't that close. And there's eight words why. Lack of a running game, and they didn't stop the run. The Lions had 34 yards rushing. Stafford threw 40 passes. Seattle ran for more than 170 yards. Now, the same issues we knew that had to be addressed coming into this season are rearing their ugly heads in a consistent basis over the uh, first part of this season. And some games the Lions get it, and some games they don't. And that, quite honestly, does not work in the National Football League. You've got to be consistent week in and week out. Be in games. Give yourself a chance in the fourth quarter to win. If you don't, you're going to wind up one of those 7-9, and 8-8 eight eight teams and basically, uh, hate to say it, but it's like a tie. It's like kissing your sister. Ultimately, what you want to do is get to the playoffs, get to the tournament at the end of the season. And if you're 8-8, eight eight, that's not going to happen. And right now, that's kind of where the Lions look like they're heading. But the latest now, and it may be a harbinger of where the Lions think they can go, is Golden Tate, their leading receiver, was just traded this week to Philadelphia for a third-round draft pick next year. Now, what does that mean? 
I'm not really sure, but we're going to find out because we're going to talk to Scott Bischoff. We talked to Scott earlier this season. He is a staff writer for the Football Guys and the Lions Wire. He is a member of the Pro Football Writers Association, and Scott knows all things Lions. And Scott, it's great to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. Hey, it's good to have you back. Uh, what do you think? Okay, the Lions are three and four, uh, but they've just traded um, Golden Tate. Is that a harbinger of things to come? Are they playing for next year and the year beyond and kind of letting this year go as one of those eight and eight years? What do you think? Uh, you know, it's uh, I could see both sides of that coin. I, I, I think we have seen this offense transform uh, in through, through, what, seven games. I think they want to run the ball. I mean, you, you mentioned it in the open. Um, you know, you come out against Miami and you're able to run the ball and, and, and you're able to be an effective offense. And how effective or how much use is what was there for, for Golden Tate in that game, right? You know, not much. Um, <clears throat> and then you look at you look at last week and, and you know, the, the, what stands out to me over the last two games has been uh, each team has come off a bye week. So against Miami, uh, you know, Lions had had a bye week the week before, and, and it gave them a week to prepare for Miami. And they look like uh, they look like a pretty. I mean, that was a dominant performance. It was. I think it's pretty fair to say that. So that gave that to me is it's been a while since we've seen the Lions come off of a bye and look the way they did. So that you know, I think you got to look at the coaching and and their preparation and their their ability to scheme. Okay, then and what? It, ex- and it gives you some hope. Okay, then right, long term. Yeah, but what explains then Seattle? Seattle came off a bye, and they did the same thing to the to the Lions. So, you know, we're seeing a little bit of games from from each head coach, and you know, in the end, I just think that Seattle was a little too much for for what the Lions were able to do. And you know, they're inconsistent at, up front. Um, you had a new you, you had Snacks Harrison come in, and you know, he's a new player. And uh, I will tell you, it, it looks to me, and it's interesting how this works. Uh, the defensive line was a weakness coming into this season. And now, if you look at what they have between, uh, you know, between Harrison and Ashawn Robinson, who's really emerged and, and seems to be understanding the scheme much better than he did, he did early early in the season, and Deshaun Hand, you have a pretty, you know, the, the, the defensive line looks pretty solid, pretty stout right now. You still you still need pass rushers, but it doesn't. It no longer looks like the weakness of their roster, like it like it once did. Uh, I would say in training camp, the defensive line did not look like it was going to be a strength for them. Well, what do you so, – I, I, the only thing I get – I agree that, you know, I think they've gotten better with Snacks Harrison, but my point is is that Seattle still gets 170 on him. And it was the yeah. running game of Seattle. And, of course, Russell Wilson I thought was outstanding. Uh, but he's that way. That's You know you're going to get that from him. But if they yeah. stop the run and put more on Russell Wilson, uh, I think the Lions have got a better shot. But they gave up over 170 on the ground. So – What's the yeah, answer and, and there? Even though they're that's better, be an issue consistency, right? It's just run fits and 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 uh, scheme fits and that kind of stuff is, is just going to be an issue for them going forward. Um, maybe that plays into the decision to to move a player like Golden Tate. Is we're going to be somewhat inconsistent as this defense sort of figures itself out. Uh, I mean, just looking at their schedule going forward, even the next couple games. I mean, you're you're at Minnesota, you you're at Chicago. You get Carolina. That's a tough game. I mean, you know, uh, you play the Bears again. Um, well, and, and, and Scott, let me just—I was going to do this. You kind of played right into my hands on this interview. Thank you very much. Oh, this is genius. Yes, no, because my whole thing was—I think the next four weeks 
ultimately the next four games, if you will, for the NFC North determines basically what they're doing. I, I think at the end of these next four games in the NFC North, you're going to know who the guys are that are going to compete for the playoffs and who's going to compete for the championship. For instance, the Lions are at Minnesota, at Chicago. They've got Carolina at home and Chicago at home, and they're at 3-4 and four going into that stretch. Now, even if they go 2-2, two and two, they're 5-6, and six, and at that point, you you got problems, I think, going forward. So I think you need to be three and one over those next four games, and you need to beat Minnesota and the Bears twice. That's the key. You got to win divisional yeah. games, right? Yes. Okay. You do, and, and in the end, um, just you know, related to the Tate trade, it's you got a third round pick for him. Um, I think that you know, for us, for for like the the draft people like me, it's you know. You got a third round pick in the 2019 draft. If 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 you had no intention of re-signing Golden Tate in the offseason, he's 30 years old. I do not think the Lions were going to re-sign him. You're going to lose him in free agency, and yes, you may have got some sort of compensation for him in 2020. But the Lions are going to be big players in free agency. They're they're going to have a lot of cap space in free agency. So so you know, in the end, I think that there's a strong chance that if they would have held on to him, that he would have walked in free agency and they would have got nothing for him right. as far as draft, you know, from, from a draft perspective. Right. So, two things I want to, yeah, two things I want to say to you. Okay. Yeah. One, a third round draft pick in uh, 2019 doesn't get any first downs in 2018. Okay. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just yeah. saying that. And secondly, you're kind of playing into my thought that maybe they're playing for 2019 and beyond as opposed to 2018. Clearly, they are, and and you know a lot of people are looking at the that the you know the snacks Harrison trade as as well. What about that? Seemed like they were making a move for this year. No, that's that's setting that defensive lineup for next year and beyond. And you know he was a huge. There was a huge missing piece at the nose. We talked about that before that they needed an anchor up front. They got it. So you know, I mean, you need some pass rush help. You you do need some interior line help. But it does it makes the draft and and the acquisition of players a little easier to have have a player like Harrison on the roster. And, and I think, you know, they gave up a future, a 2019 third for, to, to, uh, to trade or to, to pick the Sean hand last year. So you recouped a third round pick and now you have a pick in every round. And these guys are guys that love to take as many swings as they can. And, you know, it's, can you, can you replace going forward? Can you replace what golden tape gives them? And I would say it's easier to, re- to replace, it's this is it's almost slanderous to say this, but because Golden Tate's elite at what he does, I mean, yes. he is rare at what he does, and in some ways he's the Lions running. Like you're saying, he's 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 a first down maker, uh, you know. But you can find and, those guys a little easier than you can replace the the big, tall, fast receiver. Right? So no, I get, you won't need. I get you. You don't need to address that need right, in the right. first round. I get but, you. I get you on Golden being that guy. But the one thing yeah. I say when you say he's a first down maker, and this is again you and me having this conversation, that first down maker keeps Matthew Stafford on the football field and his right arm. And to me, that's the most consistent and the most dangerous offensive asset that you have. And when you don't get no that, doubt. when you don't get that asset on the field often, I think you're you're asking. You're asking a lot out of your defense now, and that defense, like I said, as you said, is kind of being remade, and that's I think going to be a tough go going forward. It is. It's going. It's going to be tough. Uh, tough sledding. They'll, I think they'll have moments where they look really good, 
I think, you know, looking at moving on from Golden Tate, I think it's, it's pretty obvious that they're going to want to run the ball uh, maybe a little more than they have and, and a little more power run. Maybe we'll see uh, Tyrell Crosby a, a little bit on the field as a swing tackle. You know, I, um, I mean, it's tough to it's tough to project what this offense is going to look like without Golden Tate. Yeah, it is. He was he was that important to what they did. Yeah, it is. Let's go. Let's look but, ahead. Yeah, I, I was going to say, let's look ahead though. We we know they're going to be, I think, a, a little bit different offensively without Golden. And I think it, all we can do is to kind of look ahead and if they get more consistent, uh, I think they'll be okay. But I, again, the schedule, I think, for them. The next four games, like you said, they got to be three and one. I think in order to have a shot, if they're two and two or less, then I think basically you are playing for 2019. The leaders right now in the NFC North are the Bears at four and three. Their next four at Buffalo against the Lions, the Minnesota Vikings, and then at the Lions again. Uh, that for the Bears, I think, if you look at both teams, I think the Bears look like a team that could be in the mix right up to the end with those next four games. They could be. I just don't want to buy that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to. Um, I mean, they could be. They have a great defense, and, and uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting how they've, how they've turned it around. Uh, but is, is, a, is, are we seeing a little bit of smoke and mirrors with that team with Trubisky? And I think there's a little bit of that. So, you know, Obviously, the next two weeks for or the next four weeks, sorry for for the Lions and the Bears are going to be really critical going forward. But you know, you look at Green Bay and they moved a, they moved a few pieces, and um, Minnesota is a really intriguing team that at one point their defense looked pretty elite, and now you know they're having a bit of a down year, and their right. yeah, Cousins is up there. And, right. Well, speaking of you the, know, it's just speaking, it's intriguing looking at this division. Yeah, speaking really of is. the Vikings. Uh, again, going back to these next four weeks or the next four games, they've got the Lions at home, then they're at the Bears, then they've got Green Bay at home, and then they're at New England. That's that's the next four for the Vikings. Uh, so, so every uh, NFC North team plays plays three NFC North teams over the next four weeks. The only one that doesn't are the Green Bay Packers. The Packers' okay. next four are at New England. Then they play Miami and Lambeau, and then at Seattle and at Minnesota. They've only got one NFC oh North team. So the yeah. Packers, and the Packers are 3-3-1 three, three and one at this point. So yeah. the only thing about them is, I think, and you look at the Packers, is their late schedule gets maybe a little bit easier. So even if they're at a 500 mark when they get done with these four, they might be able to do something in December. But right now, I think the division shapes up really well for Chicago. And Minnesota. That's kind of the way I see it. Green Bay's going to have to make a late run, and the Lions, depending on the next four games, that's going to determine what happens for them this 2018 season. It is, and, and you know, um, there is no reason, sitting here looking at this right now, that the Lions can't beat the Bears twice. Obviously, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know it more than anybody does. You need to play good football. You need yep. to play consistent football. You need to play. You need to play uh, turnover free as or as much as you can on offense, and you need to make big plays on defense. And there's no reason they can't do that, both here and there. I so, think there. I think in Chicago, Soldier Field, it's going to be tough for the Lions to win. It's been a tough place for them to win for a long time. Yeah, and that that's is, that's the one is, that I think is going to be well. And that's the thing. The next two, they got at Minnesota and at Chicago. Those are. Yeah. Uh, you might even, I mean, I've said the next four games, maybe it's the next two for the Lions. That's that's the make or break two. It could be. 
I mean, if you're if you are three and three and six going into the the, the Carolina game, it doesn't look so good. In no, fact, I would tell you it looks pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Scott, you, you're the best, man. I appreciate you coming on and talking Lions football with us. Uh, we get the insights. We get all the information on what's going on with the Detroit Lions down in Allen Park from you. Scott Bischoff, everybody. Thank, Thank you, you so much. For, hey, it. It's great to have you with us, Scott. Thanks. All right, that's Scott Bischoff. And don't go away, everybody, because the next half of our podcast will go to college football. We'll talk about Michigan, Penn State. Plus, we've got a turkey chili recipe we've got our trivia too deep and we've got facts legends and lore you don't want to miss it so stick around the brandy show continues the brandy show is a zing media group production zing media group tell your story welcome back everybody well the biggest college football game coming up this weekend is right in ann arbor it's michigan versus penn state big 10 east showdown it's one of the great rivalry games the Wolverines have between two great programs. Now, one of the greatest games in this history was back in 2005. And remember, Michigan needed a touchdown to win. There was just one second left in the game. Time for one more snap. And thanks to Art Volo and Frank Beckman, here's the radio call of that incredible finish from Ann Arbor. Well, here we go. Penn State's unbeaten season on the line. Michigan trying to upset them and keep its slim title hopes alive. Three receivers wide. Last play of the game from the 10. Henny barks something out. Breston slot right, Manningham wide. Avant to the left. Henny dropping to throw. Looking right, looking right. Fires toward the end zone. Touchdown! Mario Manningham caught it on the post. And Michigan will win. 27 to 25 on the last play of the game. And the Nittany Lions are stunned. Players have fallen to the ground on all fours. Michigan blocks onto the field, surrounding the freshman Mario Manningham, who grabs his second TD catch of the ball game. And Chad Henney brings Michigan from the brink to pull it out with a 53-yard drive in eight plays in the final minute to beat Penn State. What a great finish, uh, Michigan beating uh, Penn State on the last second touchdown pass. And, of course, if Lloyd Carr doesn't call a timeout earlier in that game to keep that one second, Michigan doesn't win that game. But they did. It was one of the great finishes. Uh, this week, uh, the Lions, the Nittany Lions, are 6-2. and two. They've got losses to Ohio State and Michigan State. Last week, though, they got a big win over Iowa, 30-24. to 24. Michigan, who will meet, of course, the Nittany Lions this week in Ann Arbor, are winners of their last seven straight. They uh, thumped Michigan State last week 21-7. to So let's get the word on this game and the insight from a former Michigan tight end. Craig Dunaway joins us, and Craig, of course, is the dad of Jack Dunaway, who is playing on the current Wolverine team. And Craig is one of the really good guys in Michigan football, and he's in Ann Arbor. He works for a uh, marketing and uh, advertising outfit. And, Craig, it's great to have you on the Brandy Show. Well, thanks, Brandy. I'm happy to be here. Hey, let's start off real quickly. We always like to do this with a where are they now. You went on after Michigan. You played football in the National Football League. But now you're mm-hmm. involved in the advertising industry, aren't you? You're in Ann Arbor, right? What's the company? Right. Uh, Parrish. Parrish Advertising and Design. Um, yeah, we're right here in downtown Ann Arbor. And 
Gosh, I've been here since 1995 now, so that's getting a little longer than I'd like to think about. But uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's been a, a lot of fun. Some really creative folks here. Um, you know, some of the work we do that you might see around town is the Bank of Ann Arbor billboards. Uh, it's a long-running campaign that uh, you know we started with Bill Martin's bank years ago, and uh, anyway, continues to this day, and it's been a lot of fun. That's great. Was this kind of in your wheelhouse when you graduated from Michigan? You wanted to head in this direction after pro football? You know, I, I, as it turns out, yes. I mean, I didn't know that until actually my senior year at Michigan. I thought I was going to go to law school when football was over. But uh, uh, a guy from a, a guy named Pete Dow, who had been a swimmer at Michigan back in the late 50s, early 60s, maybe, um, was the president of Campbell Ewald, which was the agency doing Chevrolet's business at the time and a bunch of others. And anyway, he came to the athletic department looking for some student athletes, people who had gotten decent grades while also, you know, dealing with the demands of a, of a varsity sport. And anyway, I was one of the guys he interviewed, they offered me a job and while, you know, I still had a little bit of football left in front of me. Um, you know, it introduced me to advertising and when the time came, this is what I chose to pursue. And it's been a rewarding, you know, lifelong career now. Well, advertising, the better for it. I'll tell you that because you're one of the best out there, Craig. Thanks for joining us. And now let's talk football. Uh, what do you think yeah. of this Michigan football team? You watch it. Your son, Jack, plays on it. After that Notre uh-huh. Dame game, they've, they've gotten better and better, which I know is basically that's the Schembechler model is that you right. get better week to week. And that's what this team has done, hasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's been really fun to watch because they, they truly have, and it's, I don't know, you can just see the, you know, they, how they care for one another and the, how they, they've got each other's back in a, in a way that, I mean, it is, you know, as not that it, previous years weren't as, as good at this, but I mean, they're just, they're really, you know, showing the, the, you know, the symbolism of a, of a team really putting things together uh, like that. And and you have an insight into that because your son Jack plays on the team. So you get that kind of sense from him, don't you? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they, it is a pretty tight knit group. And, uh, and so they're, I think, you know, they're playing for one another and not just themselves. And it's, it's uh, really rewarding and fun to watch. We had Wangs on not long ago, John Wangler, and he said the same thing uh, that you did uh, about Jared, you know, that he just loves mm-hmm. that the guys come over to the house and, uh, you know, they'll talk and they've got teammates with them. And it's just a friendship thing that goes beyond just being teammates. And, and that's part of what makes, I think, a team win. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and, and these guys have that. I mean, you know, part of it's just, you know, Jack, my son Jack's now a, a senior. So, you know, he's been there four years. Um, and, you know, some guys have come and gone, but, you know, there's these guys that are, that are still just, you know, they're really tight. They do, they spend, I mean, you know, when you play football at a program like Michigan, you, you're going to spend a lot of time with your teammates just, you know, because that's how it goes. Um, but beyond that, some of the discretionary time, they're still the, a tight knit group that, uh, you know, that really, you know, understands one another and the, and the things that each of them need to succeed. So, you know, they're able to, to deliver that way too, which is a lot of fun to watch. I know the answer to this next question. How proud are you as a former Michigan player to have your son, not only going through the Michigan football program, wearing that winged helmet, but getting that education from the university of Michigan. This has got to be, uh, you got to be pumping your chest out a little bit with, uh, what Jack's doing. Uh, don't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's just, you know, he, he wants to, you know, he wants to become a coach some, someday. And uh, I think he figured out that when, 
you know, he saw me, you know, I, I, you know, I've been in the advertising business since I was done with football, but I, I did help coach their, the, you know, the boys teams when they were, you know, in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, that kind of stuff. And it made me realize how much I wish I'd gotten into coaching. And I think Jack said, you know what, that's a mistake dad might've made. I'm not going to make it. I'm going to get into coaching, you know, as soon as I can. He just, he loves the game. He's a disciple of, you know, of, of guys like, uh, you know, Bill Belichick watching, you know, how those guys do things, you know, watching what the way Jim Harbaugh runs his team, you know, all the coaches he's been exposed to Don Brown, you know, just there's, there's the, that opportunity He's soaking up so much and it's just a, a great experience and opportunity for him. And I, I couldn't be happier for the experience he's going through. That's great. And I'm glad for Jack and I'm glad for you. That's a family affair when you have something like that going on. So let's talk about this Michigan Penn state game from your perspective. Yeah. You've watched this team all year. What do you think about this game coming up? Well, you know, um, I tell you what, I think this team has done a really good job of focusing on their next opponent. And, and so I don't think, you know, Michigan's gotten ahead of themselves at all. They, I'm sure they're taking Penn state seriously, even though Penn state had a stumble against the Spartans. Um, you know, I know that, uh, you know, that's a tough team. I think Frank James Franklin has that, you know, that team playing pretty well. I know they're, 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 they're missing Saquon Barkley from last year, but, uh, but McSorley is still just a, just an amazing threat. And, you know, what they, what that, that offense did to Michigan's defense last year, nobody's forgotten about that. So I, you know, I know, I know Don Brown thinks about it every day and, and I'm sure there's some other guys who do too. So I think when Michigan's got that kind of focus on an opponent, it's good news for Michigan and not good news for the opponent. Well, I agree with you on that. I think Don Brown has got that film from last week or last year up on, uh, uh, the monitors in Schembechler Hall, and that defense gets to see it a lot because they just gashed Michigan a year ago, and I know that he wants to uh, – if they're calling this a revenge tour, this game is part yeah. of that revenge tour. Absolutely, and and I know they'll, they'll, that Michigan's going to come out ready to play. I hope there's not too much of a, a little – any rust from the, the extra week off. I don't think that'll be the case, but um, but that you always got to be ready for a, maybe a little bit of a slow start, but – I think well, you know once things get rolling that uh, you know Michigan's on a they're on the on the right kind of trajectory right now so I think that's going to continue. And uh, the other thing about this football team and I know you take great pride in this because you were a tight end at Michigan under Bo Schembechler has to be basically a glorified tackle. You block for the run and this team in that offensive line from game one I think to game eight now has improved more than maybe I think any offensive line I've seen and the running game has become a feature as opposed to a liability as it has been in the past, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, and I tell you what, they, and there's, it's not just, um, you know, it's not just one back. I know Kron Higdon has, has been really tough. Um, but you know, when you put the ball in Ben Mason's hands, you know, somebody's going to pay. For He's it. a load, man. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I tell you what, I, the, the two runs he had at the end of the Michigan state game a couple of weeks ago, uh, were just amazing to watch. I mean, we're, I know we're just trying to, you know, get a first down and run out the clock. But I mean, he's putting a hurt on those guys who are trying to tackle him, and and I, you know, I, I didn't, I haven't played defense since high school, but I know if there was another guy coming at me like as hard and as fast as that guy does, that you know, I'm going to think twice about you know putting my nose in there. So, you know, I think that there's you know there's some change up weapons with Chris Evan and and True Wilson. So, you know, they're just they've got 
they, you know, they've got the, a, a great blend of talent in the backfield and the way the lines uh, has come together. It's doing a, you know, they're doing a great job of, of getting what's there and, and, you know, holding onto the ball, putting less pressure on our defense and, and eking out a few points every now and then. Every now and then. The other thing about Craig Dunaway folks is that he is a, uh, not only the dad of a Michigan Wolverine, he's also still involved in Michigan football and the Michigan Football Alumni Network. It's called MFAN. And it's one of those things where all of the former players get together and they take care of the other former players. We have tailgates. It's about camaraderie. It's about connecting. It's about networking. And one of the things that we're doing most recently is Anthony Carter, one of Michigan's greats, has had some problems from a dental perspective. And this MFAN Network, Craig, and you're on the board, and that's why I want mm-hmm. to talk to you about it, you're arranging for Anthony to get this dental work prepared or repaired through uh, yep. the Michigan network and a Michigan player who is now a dentist in Norm Betts. Talk to us about right. this story and how former players are taking care of their own. Yeah, so what we've done is we've put together, um, MFAN has, the, uh, the MFAN team, Teammates Assistance Fund, and uh, where we'll collect monies from those who want care to donate to this, and then we'll use that for people in circumstances like like AC has found himself. And, you know, we've got other resources within the, you know, the, the, the network of former players like Norm, you know, who can deliver some of those services, but, you know, there's a little more involved with a, a guy like Anthony, who's got a, you know, a son with some disabilities that needs constant care. And so if Anthony's going to travel to get some of this work done, you know, he needs some help, you know, looking after his, his son while he's away. So, you know, we're, we're going to be able to, to help fund and provide the assistance that's going to make some of that stuff uh, that kind of stuff possible so that, you know, AC can get that beautiful smile back that, uh, that dazzled us all back in 1979 when he arrived on Absolutely. campus. Absolutely. Yeah. And well, so anyway, this, this, this is an opportunity for, you know, for former Michigan players and, and we include managers and that's, and coaches and things like that too, but for former players to help one another, um, you know, beyond the time that we've, you know, spent here at in Ann Arbor, you know, playing for the team, we're still a part of the team. We're just not wearing the uniform on Saturdays. Um, but we, you know, we are helping each other out just like, like we expect our, you know, our defense to, to help our offense and vice versa. So, um, anyway, it's, a, it's a really rewarding experience for me and I'm happy to be able to be a part of it. And, you know, we'll, we're going to find more guys who need help like Anthony does and see if we can't, uh, can help them, you know, just uh, get a, a leg up on things. Well, that's great. Craig, one of the best things we ever did at MFAN when we started it was bringing you on board, and uh, you have become a stalwart and a star uh, in the uh, organizational aspect of MFAN, and uh, I can't thank you enough for all you do. Great work. Well, I tell you, it's a lot more than me involved, so uh, anyway, it, it, uh, there's a great many folks who deserve some of that credit, and we'll make sure they get it over time. So uh, anyway, I appreciate you saying that, I pre- No, I appreciate all your work, and I can't thank you enough. Say hello to Jack for us, and uh, uh, go blue, Craig Dunaway, our we'll guest on The right, Brandy thanks, Show. Brandy. Go blue. You bet. Thank you, Craig. That's Craig okay. Dunaway, our guest on The Brandy Show, talking Michigan-Penn State. Uh, we're going to continue with college football before we get to our trivia too deep. Uh, news today that uh, Board of Trustees from Maryland recommends the reinstatement of head coach D.J. Durkin. Now, you know D.J. Durkin, of course, was Jim Harbaugh's defensive coordinator in his first year, went on to get the head coaching job at Maryland. And this past summer, he was suspended because of uh, what was called a toxic and bullying environment 
by the coaching staff. Uh, Matt Canada took over for him. He has been the interim coach at Maryland since then. But after an exhaustive investigation, the Board of Trustees has recommended the reinstatement of D.J. Durkin. To me, that's a bit of a surprise because I thought when all this broke uh, back in August that uh, D.J. was going to have a really difficult time holding on and getting that job back. But he has, and that's good for DJ Durkin, and we hope things go well for him at Maryland. Now let's go to our trivia too deep. We're going to go back to 2009, everybody, and we're going to give you the Michigan defensive front. Now they ran a 3-4 back then. So here you go, the 2009 trivia too deep for the University of Michigan defense. In the middle at nose guard was Mike Martin. The two defensive ends were Brandon Graham and Ryan Van Bergen. And, of course, Brandon Graham has a Super Bowl ring from a year ago. Made the key play at the end of the game against Tom Brady on a fumble that uh, basically sealed the ball game for the Philadelphia Eagles. So Brandon out of Crockett High School in Detroit, now a Super Bowl winner for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. And he, of course, played up front for Michigan in 2009. The four linebackers, Brandon Heron and Craig Rowe, were outside. Stevie Brown and Obi Izay were the inside backers. J.B. Fitzgerald also a backup inside. And Jonas Mouton was the outside backer. The two corners on that team, Donovan Warren and Bubakar Sissoko, J.T. Floyd and J.T. Turner also played on that team. And the two safeties, Mike Williams, Troy Woolfolk, and as a backup, Jordan Kovacs, who is now a graduate assistant on the Michigan staff. That is your trivia too deep from the 2009 Michigan defense. And here we go. Are you guys ready for the turkey chili recipe for your tailgate? Well, we thought we'd do this. And you know what? If you want to get this recipe, we'll have it posted on our Facebook page, Jim Brandstatter 76. And if you want to, we'll post this out there and you can try it and see whether you like it or not. But it's my, I call it my Jim Brands that are left-handed, under-the-table chili supreme. Whether you like it or not, here it comes, just for fun. Use one pound of ground turkey breast. You need one medium-large onion. You need one 15-and-a-half-ounce chunky salsa jar. You need two 14-and-a-half-ounce cans of petite diced tomatoes. You need two 16-ounce Bush's chili beans in mild sauce and one 15-and-a-half-ounce red kidney beans drained. And you need about a half cup of brown sugar. Now, what you do is you brown your turkey breast. You break it up and brown it in a skillet. You dice your onions and throw it into a crock pot. Just dice them up, put them in there raw. Then you put the onion, the chili bean sauce, the drained red kidney beans, and the salsa, and the tomatoes in a crock pot. Just throw it all in there together. Then you add your cooked turkey. Just cook it so that it's not pink. Just cook it so it gets done because it'll continue to cook in the crock pot. When you add the turkey, you mix it all together. Then you sprinkle about a half a cup of dark brown sugar in there, okay, and mix it up. Put the top on it, and you let it go for about two to three hours on high or six hours all day long. It takes literally 10 minutes to make this thing. Put it in the crock pot, let it go, and at the end you serve it with, I love it, with sourdough bread. But you can use cornbread. That works too. But that's our Jim Brandstetter's left-handed, under-the-table, turkey chili supreme. Now we're going to close the show now with our legends, facts, Legends and lore segment. 
And I'm going to read you here the legend of Biff and Benny. Now, there are people out there that probably don't realize this, but we're doing this for historical reasons. The legends of Biff and Benny. In 1927, the year Michigan Stadium opened, the Detroit Zoo acquired 10 Wolverines from Alaska. During that season, then-Michigan football coach and athletic director Fielding Yost worked out a deal with the zoo to have two of the Wolverines transported to the stadium on football Saturdays. Two live Wolverines. Michigan's been trying to get a mascot for years. I think they tried to get a Wolverine mascot in there once, and it just didn't work. But back in 27, Fielding H. Yost brought real ones there. The two Wolverines were nicknamed Biff and Benny. And they were paraded around Michigan Stadium in cages. That practice ended after a short time, however. As the story goes, Biff and Benny grew larger and more ferocious, making it dangerous for them to be moved around near the public. So Biff and Benny went back to the zoo. They didn't get to go to a football game on football Saturdays. And in 1937, the Chevrolet Motor Company donated a Wolverine and a cage to keep it at the University of Michigan. And a contest was named. To na- a contest was held to name the new mascot, and the new name, believe it or not, was called Intrepidus. That was the winner, Intrepidus. I kid you not. I don't know how that won, but it did. That's the legend of Biff and Benny in our Facts, Legends, and Lore segment. Hey, that does it for today. Thanks for being with us. Don't forget to tune in on Saturday for the Michigan football game. It's a 3.40 kickoff, so we'll be on the air at 2.30 with our network pregame. And if you come across our Facebook page, Jim Brandstatter 76 we would love it if you liked it. And we'll have our recipe posted up there and anything else you might want us posted. You kind of follow us along and we'll get you some interesting information. You can follow us on Twitter at Jim Brandstatter. Make sure to tune us in on Inside Michigan Football Sunday mornings at 1030 on Channel 7 in Detroit. We also air the TV show Inside Michigan Football various times during the week on Fox Sports Detroit. Special thanks to Podcast Detroit for the technical help each week. Thanks to Zing Media Group's Kathleen Stevens, our producer. Keep us on your radar each and every week. This has been The Brandy Show. And don't forget, thank Art Volo. Art Volo's the guy that got us our highlight, the last-second victory over Penn State from 2005. He is our archivist, and thank you, Art, for getting that audio to us so that the folks out there in podcast land could appreciate and enjoy a victory by Michigan over Penn State. Thanks for being with us, everybody. This has been The Brandy Show.